will be judged by God, not on the basis of your success or your failure, but on whether or not you lived a holy life, on whether or not you were faithful to what God called you to do. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. Hebrews chapter 11 and beginning in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, through commended, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The writer of Hebrews reaches what can be considered the climactic chapter of his letter, and he has reminded us of what Christ has done on our behalf, that there remains a rest for the people of God, and the challenge is to enter into the rest that God provides. He tells us that no longer do we have to go through a priest because Jesus himself is the great high priest and he dwells within us, and because of that reality, we can now come boldly before the throne of grace and make our petitions and our requests made known unto God. And here in chapter 11, he reminds us of the great deeds and the acts of faith. He tells us of Enoch who walked Walked with God and was translated that he should not see death. He tells us how Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain because Abel offered what God required out of the fullness of his heart. He tells us about Noah who told the world that it was going to rain even though they had never seen rain and Noah remained faithful for years and years and God finally sent that flood. And then he moves on to the patriarchs. He tells us how Abraham received that covenant from God and throughout the scripture there is this scarlet thread weaving throughout the Bible reminding Reminding us that at the very beginning, the seed of the woman shall crush the serpent's head. Abraham has that line. God tells him, you will have a son. You will be a blessing to the nations. And Abraham believes God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He moves on through Isaac and through Jacob and through Joseph and through the family soap opera dynamics that takes place. God's covenant still survives, and Joseph in Egypt gives direction concerning his bones. And he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And then he tells of Moses who inherits all this. Moses who stood up to the Pharaoh and the edicts of the king because he realized he served a greater king and a higher power and a higher authority. He told Pharaoh, let my people go. And when Pharaoh did not, God sent the plagues of Egypt to destroy them. And after accounting of all of these mighty acts of faith of the Israelites and Jericho and Rahab and the spies, he says, what more shall I say? And the whole purpose of this chapter is to remind us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so the only way that you can please God is by living a life of faith. 
Isaiah 7 says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Not faith in yourself, not faith in your fellow humanity, because that always works out real well, but the faith once for all delivered to the saints. See, what the Word of God does is it reverses the paradigm of the world system, and it speaks to us in paradox. It tells us that in defeat there is victory. It tells us that in sorrow there is joy, and that out of death comes life. It tells us that there is strength and weakness, that there is wisdom in what the world describes as the foolishness of the cross, and that out of your worst shame comes God's greatest glory in you. It tells us that if you try to save your life, you'll lose your soul. But if you lose your life in Christ, you'll gain your soul. And it tells us that God's calendar and the world's calendar are rarely on the same page. The world says, have it all and have it right now. And the scripture reminds us that most of these died in faith, not having received the promises, but trusting that even though they died, those promises would live. It tells us that if you are trying to live your best life now, you will end up in hell because there is a better city. There is a greater promise than anything this world can offer, and God is going to prepare it on our behalf. He reminds us that the life of faith is sometimes a life of triumph and glory, but it is always a life of trial. What more should I say? The writer can go on and on about the mighty acts of faith recorded in Scripture, and since he can't in the space provided, he goes rapid fire on his readers. He pulls out the spiritual sledgehammer, brings down the house, and he gives us the positive outcomes of faith. He starts with the judges. He tells of Gideon, that torch-bearing, sign-seeking, reluctant leader who charged ahead with a merry band of 300 men against a multitude so vast they were like grasshoppers. God used Gideon to accomplish his word. He tells of Barak, who was a military leader serving under Deborah, who led Israel in a defeat of Sisera and the Canaanites. He talks about Samson, who is the mighty man of valor, who on the day of his death accomplished more than all the deeds of his life, as out of his weakness he was once again made strong, and in pushing down those pillars, he brought down the judgment of God upon the house of the Philistines. He tells us of Jephthah, who in spite of his foolish vow, led in the defeat of the Amorites and the Ammonites. And then he goes to the monarchy and the priesthood. He tells us of David, the great king who, through all of his sins, yet had a heart after God, who said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my song. He tells us of Samuel, who is the priest born to Hannah, who when he heard the voice of God responded by saying, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God used Samuel in a great way in the priesthood. And then he reminds us of the prophets. He tells us of Ezekiel and Hosea and Joel and Amos and Obadiah and Jonah and Micah and Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah and Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, who sowed the word of the Lord in good times and in bad. And then he tells us what they did. He says, through faith, they conquered kingdoms. So from Egypt, from Jericho, on through the reign of David, they enforced justice, serving as viceroys to the one who comes as the son of righteousness with healing in his wings, who brings justice to the fatherless, who pleads the widow's cause, the one in whom justice would one day roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. They obtained promises. 
Because God kept his promises to his people, his covenant that said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And those who believed God lived out those promises in faith. Someone said it well, the promise-making God is faithful to his oaths. And people of faith live in light of God's promises. It says they stopped the mouths of lions. Who can forget about Daniel, who prayed three times a day in spite of the edict of the king, was thrown into a pit, and in the morning he was fine, and the king was terrified. Quench the power of fire, Daniel's three friends who said, we will not bow down to your gods, O king. They found a fourth man in that fire. Escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. So Elijah and Elisha pray for the sons of the poor widow of Zarephath and the woman of Shunem, and those sons get up. And Jesus will say to the daughter who is dead, he will tell the people she is not dead, she is sleeping. They will laugh at him until she wakes up. God accomplishing mighty things among his people. But I want you to see that often what we see in the life of faith, especially in Western culture and Western Christian culture, is success. That somehow, if you just get the right number of volunteers in place and you get enough good givers and you have enough momentum going, and if you do enough advertising, and if you pray and you spin around in circles and you do all the things in the right way, that that means you will be considered a success. That if you have enough people, that if you do enough things, you can write a book and speak at a conference and say, if you'll just do it this way, unwrap your formula, here's how you get God. And you make Christianity into something you can sell, something you can bottle, rather than something that comes from the Spirit of the living God. This past week, I did a conference call uh, with the Kentucky Baptist Convention. They were asking us about what we had done with Crossroads. They were talking with state leaders and other conventions, talking about church, leader, church mergers and how that would work. They knew of what we had done, and so they asked us that. And I basically spent about half an hour telling them, I really don't know. We just did it, and the Lord blessed Great people. Do you think I'd be getting a phone call if that had flopped? We measure Christian faith by success and failure. But you've got to read the rest of this text, and it's interesting because there's no transition here, it just shifts. This writer fails preaching class. You've got to have a good transition statement, but he doesn't have one in here. He just goes into it. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and then he says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. You heard of Senator McCain, who's been diagnosed with brain cancer this past week, and how he heroically in Vietnam, when given the opportunity to go home, did not because he wouldn't leave his fellow men. You think in even greater sense, the martyrs of the church who refused to be released. John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, said if you don't preach the gospel, he was told he would be freed. And every time he got out, he preached the gospel and he got thrown back in. He continually proclaimed God's word. Others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. And what does the apostle Paul say about his chains? He says that they have been used to bring about the gospel. 
Can you say that about your cancer? About the breakup of your marriage? About your wayward child? Oh, we like Christian success, but we don't like what the world sees as failure. It says they were stoned like Stephen. They were sawn in two. Tradition has it like Isaiah. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated as a John the Baptist, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You think your house is too small, and the Bible says the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You argue over your poverty and you're richer than 98% of the world. And then he tells us out of all this what they did of whom the world was not worthy. I think of Elijah when put to the test, called down to the Lord and said, show these people who God is. And God brought the fire down. He wasn't perfect. He got scared and ran away. God still used him. He caught him up in a whirlwind as a chariot of fire. I wonder who is someone who modeled Christianity for you. Not considered a success in the eyes of the world, maybe, but someone who was a parent or a grandparent or a friend, and as a result of their influence, you're here today. I think of Bobby Smith. She was a stern lady sometimes. She had a ruler. She used it in Sunday school class. She taught us how to, how to get ahead on writing sentences. If you got in trouble, you had to write sentences. She showed us, though, how you could actually write three sentences at once by holding three pencils a certain way, and it was very useful at times. She would say to us, I don't like you children at all. She didn't mean it. She led many children to faith in Christ. She was always there for vacation Bible school, kids crusade, mission outreach, whatever we did. She never married, as far as I know, lived in poverty. God called her home. Maybe you have someone who influenced you like that. It says that those who are forgotten by the world are remembered by God. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. They that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. And then after all of this, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So a couple of things we see here. You are not guaranteed a hero's welcome, nor are you guaranteed a martyr's death. And so if you say, I, I don't feel appreciated, nobody appreciates what I do, have you considered him who endured? Christ on the cross. I think many appreciated him at the time. Or, or you say on the other end, you've got this martyr's mentality and everybody's out, out to get me. I'm just going to suffer for Jesus and get my reward. I'm sorry, are you in chains? Has someone beaten you within an inch of your life because you proclaim the gospel? See, you, you can't walk through life expecting your version of a happy ending. The only happy ending is found in Jesus. And someone asked me a while back, they said, and I remember it because I don't ever ask this question. They said, are you happy? I can't tell you when was the last time I thought about whether or not I was happy. Because happiness is not ultimately a, a value for me. It's not about being happy. It's about am I doing the will of God? 
I want my happiness to be found in God. I want my happiness to be in Him so that the joy of the Lord might be my strength. That's why Paul can say, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. And we have to realize that some of us will stop the mouths of lions, and some of us may very well get eaten by those lions. Some of us will receive accolades on this earth, and some of us will die in obscurity. But hear me out. You will be judged by God, not on the basis of your success or your failure, but on whether or not you lived a holy life, on whether or not you were faithful to what God called you to do. And he tells us that all of these people that he mentions and this great cloud of witnesses that goes before haven't yet experienced the fulfillment of the blessing because they're waiting on us. That is, God has not commenced all things. He's not consummated all things, rather. And he reminds us that you cannot live the fight of faith alone. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Sometimes you say, well, I wouldn't be around these people if it wasn't for church. Brother, sister, that's the whole point. We don't gather together because we like each other. We gather together because we love Jesus. That's the example to the world. And so what does it mean to be a person who walks by faith? First of all, walk in the Word of God. He says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, it is a light unto my path. And in a culture where there's no electricity, it gets dark at night, and Jesus will say, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. You need to be daily in the word, brothers and sisters. And if you say that you don't like reading, get the Bible on your phone or on your computer or on tape or something because you cannot live without the word of God. Be in it, know it, read it, dwell on it. He says, walk in the will of God. Sometimes people refer to this as a leap of faith, and the world sees this as, as blind faith. I had this experience one time at seven years old, and I won't name the person who influenced me to do such a thing, but if I were to name that person, his name might be Jonathan. And uh, Jonathan, as we'll call him, decided that over the five-foot-deep, three-foot-wide ditch that was in the back of our church school parking lot, that we could fly like eagles if we would just take a jump. Seven-year-old Barry believed Jonathan. We get to the part where we're about to jump over. We're running full stop. He stops ahead. I try to stop, turn around, and fall into the ditch. And I got in trouble. He's not talking about this, this, this blind faith. You remember the Indiana Jones where he talks about um, the last crusade. He's getting ready to try to find the, the Holy Grail, not the sequel where they ruined it, kind of like they ruined Rocky V. He steps out. He's getting ready to go. He says, you have to take a leap of faith. And when he steps on it, he discovers that the crevice has been there all along. It's just shaped to where you can't see it unless you step out. That's sort of the, the faith that he's talking about. He's talking about the kind of faith that when you slip, there's a rock to catch your fall, that I have to persevere regardless of how I feel and remember that there's a walk down there, that there's a rock that has been trampled on before. So he says, walk in the word of God, walk in the will of God, and then walk in the way of God. Faith is ultimately a trust relationship. I have to believe that what God has for me is better than what the world has for me. Listen, there's certainty in knowing God says, but there's confidence in taking him at his word and believing what he says. 
So parents, when you're struggling with your kid, remind yourself of the promises of God. You think to yourself, train up a child, and maybe when he's old, he won't depart from it. I don't know. Remember that children are inheritance from the Lord. And though we're not responsible for how they turn out, we are responsible for raising them up in our home and having them in the Lord's home and trusting him with that. Maybe you're worried about the health insurance debate today and you don't know how you're going to be able to afford it, whether you're working or retired or whatever your case may be. You have a great physician who not only cares for your body, but he also cares for your soul. He watches you. You're worried about your job status or your boss that you have to work with or whether or not you'll have enough income. Does he not watch the sparrows fall to the ground? He not clothe the lilies of the field? Give us this day our daily bread. Our God will provide. Maybe you just say, you know, beyond all of this, I, I used to, to have this for God. I used to have this faith, but I don't know what happened. He's still there. You can have it again. He says that longing in your heart that this world doesn't satisfy is ultimately because you desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. And then he says, wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God because he has prepared for them a city. And we read the words of Christ who says in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you because human beings can endure almost anything if, if there's hope on the other side. And he says, these all died in faith, and so must we. So in concluding this series, let me just say a couple of things that I think are important for us to consider. F.B. Mayer said this well, you do not test the resources of God until you attempt the impossible. Hudson Taylor said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. If you want to leave anything for your family, let it be a legacy of faith, mountain-moving, earth-shattering, audacious faith, but let it also be proclaimed that whether it is defeat or whether it is victory, whether it is joy or sorrow or grief or pain or suffering, that the God on this mountain is still God in the valley and even the bad things of life, he is working together for good. And because I'm surrounded this with this great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, that being faithful unto death, God will give you the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them who love Him. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at veryefields.com.